is Faith Revisited. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Ben. I'm the senior pastor at Historic Trinity Church in downtown Savannah. I'm passionate about following Jesus, loving my family, enjoying all sports involving a ball, and a constant pursuit to find the perfect bottle of bourbon. And I'm Molly, a Methodist from the West Coast, but after moving to Savannah a few years ago, I found a home in Trinity and a friend of Ben's. My greatest joy in life is simply sitting on the front porch with my husband, my crazy dog, and a great bottle of red wine. On Faith Revisited, we'll talk about our own church as we're constantly trying to adapt to an ever-changing world as a downtown historic church. We'll talk about United Methodist Matters as our denomination faces an exciting and uncertain future. We'll explore church leadership in the 21st century. And we'll talk to different faith leaders about their perspectives of religion today, how we can be more authentic, stop alienating people, and how faith is more important than ever to connect us to God and each other. Hey, maybe we'll touch on a topic that speaks to exactly where you are in your faith. We won't know until we try, right? Let's do it. Welcome to this week's episode of Faith Revisited. This is an interview that Ben did a a little bit ago, a few weeks ago, right? Um, Ben, why don't you introduce our speaker today? Yeah, so uh, a few weeks ago, actually it's been probably a couple of months ago, I had the uh, pleasure to interview uh, George Acevedo, who is the lead pastor of Grace Church in Cape Coral, Florida. Uh, That's a United Methodist Church down in South Florida area. Uh, It's a multi-site church, multi-campus church. They, um, I think, four campuses now. Uh, he'll he'll say it in the interview, but but they have multiple campuses that they oversee and a number of innovative ministries, and it was really great conversation uh, that that George and I uh, enjoyed with one another. Yes, and before we get into the most exciting parts and things that we learned out of this, I want to apologize on Ben's behalf for his terrible sound quality. He had headphones in that was um, <laughs> catching on your shirt, right? Yeah, I, I, George, it was so exciting. I, I, I think I was just getting too into <laughs> you it. You panicked, I was moving yeah. around too much. And yeah, apparently the mouthpiece on the cord to the headphones kept brushing up against the collar of my, my golf yes, shirt. Yes, you were very into it. It should just show everyone how excited Ben was to chat with him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you hear little brushes and things like that, that's just the microphone in my golf shirt. So sorry about that. No problem. But what we do want to get have you get out of this interview is really talking about the innovative ministries that his church has been doing. They focus on fresh expressions, which we learned um, in Bishop Ken Carter's interview. We learned a lot about that. And um, George being in that same conference as Bishop Ken Carter, the amount of innovative programs that he's doing there is amazing. But what are some of the other ministries that they've really focused on? Well, Grace Church, and I didn't know this, I thought that it was a church plant all these years. I didn't realize it's actually uh, classified as a church revitalization. So he was given an existing church, and he's done this kind of cultural makeover, this kind of replant or restart or or repurposing um, of a church, which uh, for listeners who listen to us regularly, uh, kind of know that's sort of a similar vein to kind of our goals at, at Trinity Church in, in downtown Savannah to take a, a an existing church and to kind of give it new life and 
a new identity uh, for the 21st century. So that's really cool. The bedrock of their ministry and church growth has been their recovery ministry. Yes, and 19 uh, years. 19 successful. years, yeah. And, and some of this comes out of George's personal testimony as a person who's, who's been in recovery as uh, one having um, immediate family members who have been um, in, in the recovery process um, and, and, and very much rooted in the gospel um, that, that it's, it's for people who feel uh, the most broken. Um, the marginalized. Yeah. He talks about um, being an engine for evangelism and discipleship, which I love that phrase that he used. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, over the years, and you'll hear the story that it kind of blossomed out of a recovery ministry and various other things. But um, one thing that that to make a connection for listeners and actually for you, Molly, because you're one of the participants, we've had over 20 people sign up to do our 90 day um, Bible reading challenge at Trinity Church. We can put a link in the show notes if anyone else wants to do it. You read all four Gospels over the course of 90 days. Now, we're not going to check your work. If it takes you a little longer or even shorter, that's up to you. But the idea is to read the Bible um, regularly and to make it a regular practice and to do this in a plan that we give you over 90 days. That 90-day Bible reading plan, I stole from George Acevedo. Oh, how fun. So I, I was on his website looking at other, among other things, and saw their Bible reading plan. They have two other plans. And so I sent him a message. This was after the interview and, and said, hey, I love your plan. If I, you know, credit you guys, could I borrow it? And he was like, don't credit, just take it. <laughs> Whatever you can do to, to use it, use it. So, um, you know, that idea of being an engine for evangelism and discipleship, that's just one example of how he and, and the, the leadership at Grace Church are helping people in very tactile and tangible ways, grow in their faith. And so I'm, I'm looking at leaders like George and others um, with admiration because they're doing what, what the church needs to be doing to help people grow in their faith. Absolutely. And he talked a little bit about going back to our roots, and he used this term primal Methodism, which yeah. I love. Yeah, primal Methodism. And for him, I, you know, a lot of that is based in the, the Wesley days, the circuit rider days. Um, when preachers were on horseback, but but really a lot of the, the Methodist church grew not out of a professional class of clergy, but out of clergy helping lay people, non-professional mm -hmm. leaders be leaders. And so the class meetings were often led by, by lay leaders and things like that. And so they have a focus on small group ministry. They have a focus on empowering and cultivating lay leadership. Um, and really this notion that, that churches should connect with the things that affect people most, um, ministry with schools, ministry with hospitals and caring um, for person's health, and, and ministry within the community itself. I love that. Um, and then the last two points that I want to touch on as the precursor to you actually listening to this interview is he talks a lot about um, culture of leadership and how he has you know, what he's cultivating in his church. And he talks about building Sabbath and rest into the culture um, as that's what he really doesn't want anyone to get burned out. So they really prioritize Sabbath and rest as well as he always has his, what's called the leadership antenna on. He's always looking for deep, passionate love of Christ. And that love of Christ is more important than any of the skills that they may be to qualify for the job. Yeah, to the, to the first point, um, like if for listeners who heard our interview with Adam Hamilton, I'm always looking at these like high functioning, top notch <laughs> level five leaders to say, 
Like what, what are Give what me are your hacks? secrets? Yeah. yeah. What are the hacks? What do you do for this? And doggone it. Every one of them says, look, it's growing in your own faith. It's mm-hmm. Sabbath. It's rest. It's, it's understanding your having your own self-awareness, understanding your limitations, understanding how to pour into others and, and knowing when to take your hand on and off the steering wheel or your foot on and off the gas for, for healthy leadership. And obviously, you know, these guys have been doing it for a long time. And so they've had to grow into that, but yeah, very similar. George it's this notion that Sabbath, the day that I interviewed him, uh, he, they're empty nesters now. Um, and, and so he, he was getting ready. I caught him at the end of the day. So we chit chatted after the interview, but he and his wife were getting ready to go to the movies. That's their thing. Like they will go on movie dates, two, three nights a week. That's, um, awesome. that's just one example of how it's really important. And, and he tells people, you know, Hey, this is, I have a personal calendar. You know, the, these are the times I'm not available. And he tries to cultivate that across his staff. Um, to your second point, that leadership antenna thing is so crucial. And uh, I have another friend who says, you're always looking for people with bright eyes. Mm-hmm. And that's what I kind of heard George sort of alluding to this. It's not, I mean, skill set's important, but you can get people really skilled in areas who don't have a passion. Yeah. And so he's first and foremost looking for people with a passionate faith in Jesus Christ with the idea that it, I can't teach you passion. You have to grow into that, but I can teach you many skills. Absolutely. So absolutely. Yeah. As, as you look for leaders that with that passion and you can help them grow in, in the skill set anytime. Yeah. So that was great. I hope you all really enjoyed this interview. Um, again, apologies for Ben's excitedness and dancing around the whole time. Um, but we really hope you enjoy this interview and we learned a lot of great things from George. Uh, take care. Be sure to like us uh, on our various social media pages. You can uh, download us and subscribe where you listen to podcasts. But enjoy this interview with George Acevedo. Welcome, friends, to our latest interview with the Faith Revisited podcast. It is my pleasure today uh, to be with George Acevedo, who is the senior pastor of the uh, Grace Church uh, in the Florida Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church. George, welcome. Hey, man. It's good to be with you. All right. Great to have you. Uh, for those who may not be familiar with who you are and the wonderful ministry that you're doing at Grace, give us just a brief background of, of, of your story, the church's story, just, just kind of what got you to this place. Sure. So I, I was not raised in the church um, and uh, uh, took up the family business, I call it, of, of addictions uh, through high school. Uh, became a Christian uh, through one of those parachurch ministries, a lot like Young Life FCA. It was Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh, went to a church conference and there learned that like Christians who wanted to grow in their faith uh, were involved in these things called churches and did things like praying and reading the Bible and serving and giving and those deals. And so landed in a United Methodist church in Orlando, Florida, Pine Castle United Methodist Church um, that was in the midst of uh, rip roaring uh, 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 what I call Pentecostal Methodist Renewal, and um, they were a part of a group of churches in our conference that were um, uh, really experiencing the person, presence, and power of the Holy Spirit, and it was kind of in that context uh, that I got called to ministry, got sent off to uh, Asbury College and Seminary, and um, uh, married my youth group sweetheart, so uh, going to that church paid off in many, many ways, um, and uh have served, um, I'm in my third church in the Florida Conference. My first church was a, an associate position for four years. And then I was executive pastor at Christ Church in Fort Lauderdale 
Uh, I was there during uh, uh, Dick Wills, who's uh, one of our retired bishops' uh, tenure there. He spent a, a decade and a half there uh, at Christ Church. And then I've been at Grace Church now. Uh, I'm in my 24th year uh, at, at Grace Church. And um, Grace Church is a wonderful multi-site uh, church with four campuses, a bunch of fresh expressions. We're really experimenting a lot with that. And some pretty innovative ministries, um, particularly around recovery and uh, ministry to people on the margins, the poor, and the rest. So um, having, a, having a wonderful time in ministry here. That's amazing. I, I first learned about Grace Church. I, I guess I've been in ministry 10 years, so it was when I was in seminary. Um, and, and, and Celebrate Recovery, I understand, is, is one of the big programs out of your church. And that, am I right, really kind of became sort of one of the backbones of the church early on, that people um, seeking healing through recovery, that, that, that the church was like a hub for that. Yeah. So when I got here, my first day, there was $29.16 in the checking account. Uh, literally, we owed $1.2 million on a sanctuary um, that was sitting empty in two what I would call um, fairly lifeless worship services and, um, uh, and very little ministry going on for children, students, uh, young adults or adults, quite frankly. Um, about the only thing that was really happening that was of life was a, was a Boy Scout troop. Um, and the place was empty almost every, every night and every day. And um, uh, I learned a prayer from a Baptist guy um, in Fort Lauderdale that uh, Dick Wills introduced me to. And it went, uh, Lord, send us people nobody else wants. And I kind of adopted that. said, if I ever become uh, a lead pastor, I'm going to like pray that like every day for my church. And so I came to our church with these worn out, you know, buildings and no people. And I was one of the youngest guys there with my uh, middle school and elementary age kid. And I began to walk the buildings in the church praying, Lord, would you just send us people nobody else wants? And um, I had in Fort Lauderdale, uh, our church had launched a, a celebrate recovery following the model from Saddleback where Rick Warren is the pastor. Kind of just, they have a packet of, of material and you just kind of follow it. And we had done that and there, and I'd seen it work really marvelously there. I was a part of the, the team that helped launch that. And then, um, uh, so uh, through the midst of all of that, I brought, I bought the box set. And it was like, you know, $120 box set from Zondervan. Sat on my shelf for three years, and we finally raised up a leader. Um, she built a team, took her about nine months to build a team. And on the first weekend, first Friday night, of uh, January 2000 uh, in Y2J, uh, right at the turn of the millennium. Uh, we launched it, and so we're in our 19th year now of uh, doing recovery ministries. And what I would say to you is that this is rough estimate. At this campus, the original campus of Grace Church, I would tell you that about one in three of the people who comes into the life of our church is somebody that's been reached to the recovery ministries. So we have a reputation of being a recovery church, though by no means is the vast majority of people in recovery, though a large portion of our people are. Uh, and that would be on staff as well as, you know, as well as sitting in the chairs and being a part of our ministries. But it, it's just been a, it's been an engine for evangelism and discipleship. Um, I didn't learn until later that in the early Methodist movement um, that John Wesley set up this uh, kind of subset of the bands and they were called penitent bands and it was for men and women who couldn't live up to the standards of the regular bands. And they were men and women who struggled with alcoholism. 
And uh, it was very strict in format, and it was much like the 12 steps. Um, and so even in our early Methodist DNA is this heart for people who struggle with addictions and um, have always felt all along that um, what we're doing here at Grace Church is really just kind of returning to what I would call primal Methodism. And, and, and so we've tried to live into that. So, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great, you know, it comes out of my own personal narrative as well. Uh, as best I can tell, all of my grandfathers, great-grandfathers, aunts, uncles, uh, were all alcoholics. Uh, my brothers uh, in recovery from cocaine addiction. I myself am in recovery from uh, drugs, alcohol, and codependency. And I have a son who struggles with addiction by the grace of God. has been sober for two and a half years. So it really is a part of our family narrative, our family business, I call it. And so our church kind of reflects that. I think uh, churches often reflect the, particularly long-term pastors like ours, they often reflect the, some of the story of, of, the, of the leaders. That's really great. So I, I want to talk more ministry, but, but before we do, I always like in our interviews to, to let people kind of get to know leaders sure. as people. Yeah. So when you're not, you know, eyeball deep in ministry at yeah. Great Church and out speaking or writing books or doing doing the George Acevedo professional life, what do you enjoy doing for fun? Yeah, that's good. So uh, two things that are really, or well, three things that come to mind. I I, uh, I have one of those movie uh, passes to one of the major movie theaters, and my wife and I love movies, and so it's not unusual for us to grab two, sometimes three movies a week. We're empty nesters now. And, uh, and the way my life is ordered, I'm an early morning person to the afternoon, so I don't have a ton of evening stuff. So, yeah, we, we might tonight go grab us a flick, you know, open the app, uh, choose a, our seat, and go. So we go see movies a lot. Um, so that's that's one piece. And uh, uh, Or as my wife says, her love language is a bucket of popcorn in a dark room. Um, and then, uh, secondly, I've uh, taken up um, barbecuing, and I love to cook. I just love to cook. I love preparing food and watching other people enjoy it. Um, and that would include my big green egg, but I do love cooking. I love preparing food. I love, you know, marinating meats and those kinds of things. And, and, uh, uh, it seems to really, really relax me. And, uh, and then thirdly, uh, I'm, I have adult children and, uh, I have four grandkids. Um, they're, uh, you know, four miles up the road. Uh, my granddaughter attends our preschool here uh, at the Cape Coral campus and uh, the other three ones in middle school and two are in uh, elementary school. So I spend, you know, a couple of days a week uh, hanging out with my grandkids and uh, just trying to build life into them and build memories with them. And so that's a lot of fun. That's fun stuff. So, so in, in the midst of all the, 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 the busyness, all the, the things you have to do and beyond ministry, even the personal life and the recreation and all that. I'm always curious to talk with effective leaders like you and say, like, what are some of the primary routines or rhythms that, how do you wake up every day and do all that you seem to do? Because you seem to be able to do 10 times more than the average leader or, or how do you stay focused on everything? What are your primary routines and rhythms? Yeah. You know, I would think there's, I guess I would say there, there, I think there's, there's two dynamics. There's the inner world of the leader, and then there's the outer world of the leader. And I would say both of those things have to find margin and space. And um, so after 23 plus years in the same church, I would tell you that we've, I have intentionally ordered my outer world, meaning my responsibilities in meetings and those kinds of things. 
uh, to a place that's very sustainable. I would be lying to you, Ben, to tell you that in year one or even in year 10 that it was sustainable because it was not. I would tell you that from year 10 to now year 24, I've worked intentionally at having my outer world um, try to help my inner world live with margin in space. And, and what I mean by that is uh, 14 years ago, um, when, when a colleague who's still with us now has been with us for 14 years, he came, he said to me, um, I kind of threw him the keys his first month here and said, I'm going to take about four weeks off. You're in charge. Don't call me unless the church burns down. And when I came home, he had been deputized. He, you know, he had all the responsibilities of, of leaving our church. He said, how in the heck, he didn't use the word heck, how in the heck have you done this for this long? I said, what do you mean? He says, it's not sustainable. It's going to kill you. And it's not good for the church. And so we've ordered our lives, our collective lives, not just mine, because it's not about just George. It's about all of our lives. We've ordered our collective lives in a way that's significantly more sustainable. Uh, and by that, I mean, we've built covenants that say we're going to take care of ourselves emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, relationally, intellectually. We're going to care for ourselves. That's built into our kind of corporate life together. Uh, we've, we, we, we just, I mean, you're held accountable to taking a, a day off. And, uh, and, and I told my team the other day, a day off is not necessarily a Sabbath day. You get to determine whether your day off is a Sabbath day or not. Um, whether it's a time for you to connect with God. So there's kind of the external things of calendars and schedules and meetings and kind of getting all of that right size. On, on the inner world deal, I would tell you that's been an ongoing journey, but I'm living in a space right now that, um, uh, a space that I've aspired to, um, you know, all of my 41 years of walking with Jesus. And that is that, um, you know, on most days, uh, I'm able to carve an hour or more every day uh, in quiet and stillness. Um, I believe in solitude, stillness, and, and silence are kind of my three S's. I, I try to build my, my time away with God, where I connect with God through journaling um, and, and through uh, prayer. Um, uh, I'm a disciple of Wayne Cordero and some of the work that he's written in his book, The Divine Mentor, about how you hear God speak through Scripture. And so I'm a real big believer in the reading of Scripture and uh, allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And this is, you know, there's a difference, Ben, between you and I pulling out the commentaries and cracking open Google and, and you know, and digging deep for uh, insight in Bible study or in preaching. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a devotional reading of Scripture where the Holy Spirit might say something that the text doesn't necessarily say. Does that make sense? And that it's, it doesn't mean it's heresy. It's just saying the Holy Spirit is saying, you know, is, is illuminating a text for something that's going on in my life or in my universe or in my world as a leader. So those are pieces of it. Um, I, th I would say another piece of that inner world is that's related to this outer world. Um, just this past week, I spent uh, three days with my pastor's covenant group that's now celebrating 29 years of being together. And uh, we've been together for 29 years. The first guy in our group is getting ready to retire. And so that's going to be a new season for us. We're all older. We now are all empty nesters. We're now all, you know, living with, you know, kids launched. And we're in the, you know, the last third uh, or some of us even less of our ministry. And um, those guys, I mean, just today, if I looked at my phone, I bet you there's, 
20 texts. We have an ongoing text stream of everything from silly memes to one of our guys had had a, uh, a positive test. Uh, a test came out good uh, from a, you know, a, a cancer scare test. And so we're celebrating with him. Those guys make uh, I, I've said, and it's not overstating, it's not hyperbole to say, for me, I'm still married and still in ministry because of those 29 guys, or those 29 years with those it's six, seven guys of us total, six guys. So That's very cool. I, I, it's funny to hear you mention that um, because it, in South Georgia, we have a program based off the old Lilly Foundation program with S3, Study, <laughs> Service, and Sabbath. And so they brought it to the conference and got it funded. And um, yeah, I've got seven guys. There's eight of us total, all young uh, now, <laughs> pastors. and many It's coming, people. buddy. It's coming, yeah. dude. Yeah. And, and, but what's funny is on Thursday, we, we do this about three times a year. We're going to a state park nearby, uh, and we'll spend about 36 hours together yeah. um, and yeah. drill out and just, you know, yeah. chew fat on church and just, just be with each other in ways that you don't need to dump all of that on your spouse and you have that support system. So that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, so I'm always curious, especially with pastors of larger churches, and in your case, multi-site, mm-hmm. I, I'm sure I could go to your website and find 58 different ministries that are just wonderful. Mm-hmm. What are a couple of the ministries at Grace Church that maybe people don't usually notice or that they don't you know, go way high on the radar for people, but they're super effective or super influential or they're places that, that really God is at work at Grace Church. Yeah, sure, sure. So a couple of years ago, uh, Bishop uh, Ken Carter, my bishop, invited me to go to uh, England with him on a pilgrimage to uh, check out Fresh Expressions of Church. And so we've been what I would call early adapters to the Fresh Expression movement in the United Methodist Church and um, came home, kind of ran it past our team. One on our team just got lit on fire. I mean, she went to the Fresh Expressions Conference in uh, Alexandria, Virginia uh, with me, came back and felt like God said to her, you know, uh, her name's Heather, I need to do this. And so our first Fresh Expression that we launched, uh, uh, we struck gold, if you will. You don't always strike gold. There's high-level experimentation in doing these things. Um, uh, fresh expressions. Let me let me just say this for for your listeners: the fresh expressions of church are uh, innovative ways to create new spaces for, to reach new people that won't normally come through the door on Sunday morning. And so it could be uh, a community uh, area. It could be uh, some kind of uh, 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 of thing that's an affinity thing. Like like we have one that's for uh, we have a mount we have a, a mountain bike fresh expression called dirt church where they, you know, they on Sunday mornings, they're not in church. They're out mountain biking, BMXing. And uh, so we found uh, an area about four miles from our church. That's the second largest trailer park in the Southeast of the United States. Now, uh, Ben, you're a Southerner like me. There's a lot of trailer parks in the Southeast and this is the second largest one in land. Wow. If you look on the, the hunger index of our County, it's considered a hunger drought. And uh, the, the elementary school that we've been working at for 15, 20 years now uh, with reading mentors and other kinds of ministries um, uh, abuts this, this trailer park area. It's huge. Um, There are places there, Ben, that look like the third world, no plumbing, no water, dirt floors, literally, uh, and children living there uh, and families living there 
high drug addiction. Um, and they have a community center that was sitting empty. And so we found out we could rent it. I think it's a hundred bucks a month that we can rent this space. It's got a kitchen. And so uh, we raised up, Heather raised up a team of people and we started this dinner church out there. Um, and I would say on any given week, we'll have anywhere from 40 to 80 people, um, mostly uh, working poor, um, who never would, they wouldn't have the gas to come the four or five miles to our church if they even own a vehicle. But we've created the space where it's a dinner church. We have a meal together. And slowly it's grown to be where there's a little devotional that's done or a testimony that's done. And uh, it's become a church, a place of discipleship. And uh, we've done weddings there. We've done funerals there. We've done baptisms there. We do uh, special events there, uh, our shoe ministry where we give out shoes and backpacks. We do that there. We also uh, are uh, able to do, you know, we'll do Christmas Eve services there or uh, Easter morning, Easter egg hunt breakfast and service there. And it's just reaching a, a corner. It never shows up on, you know, the annual conference form. Uh, but people are coming to know Jesus and people are getting discipled there. They call it their church. We've birthed some small groups out of that, um, some Bible studies and that sort of deal. Um, we need to launch some recovery ministries there because it's desperately needed. But yeah, that's, that would be one that I would say, I don't even think you can find it on our, on our website because it's, it's not necessarily, uh, you know, it's not something that we want it's for that community. It's, it's not something there for you. find out word of mouth and the little sign that we post out in the front that says, come on in here for a free meal. So that's fantastic. Wow. We, we had Bishop Carter on uh, previously in an interview. And so I love, he kind of gave us a theory behind fresh expressions. And then for listeners now to hear how one is really alive yeah. and thriving in your context, that's just, that's fantastic. And so it kind of leads me to my next question. You know, whether it's leading a fresh expression or, or leadership in general, mm-hmm. what do you look for in identifying a leader? Like, what are those intangibles? What are those things you can't quite measure necessarily, but, but you know it when you see it, that they're an effective sure. leader? I, th- I think, you know, um, I think leaders, and, and uh, this might sound a bit theological or biblical, but I, I think you'd agree with me, Ben, that there seems to be identified in Scripture in 1 Corinthians uh, 12, I believe, uh, that there is the spiritual gift, no, Romans 12, I'm sorry, the spiritual gift of leadership, Romans 12. There, there is this, you know, Paul says, if you have the gift of leadership, then lead, lead well. So uh, not everybody has that spiritual gift. And I, I think... Um, uh, you know, one of the things I discovered that when it, about addictions is that I could spot other addicts. You know, there's this kind of intuitive sense where you can spot other. And I think people who have the spiritual gift of leadership can spot other leaders. And so one of the things that's, that's been important for me, Ben, in my ministry is to walk around with my what I call my leadership antennas up, looking for leaders. And sometimes, you know, before I came to Grace Church, if you had asked me to take a spiritual gift test, I don't think spiritual the gift of leadership would have even shown up in the top handful. I had to be in the context where I could use that spiritual gift for it to flourish. Now I would say that it's one of my top two spiritual gifts. And so now as a leader, I walk around with my leadership antenna up saying, who's out there that I incredibly sense might have the spiritual gift of leadership? 
Now, there's no science to it. And I think one of the sicknesses under death for the church is that we, we suck all the faith and mystery out of this thing, um, is that I think we have to listen to the Holy Spirit in this gift we call intuition. I don't think it's just a bright leader. I think it's listening to the Holy Spirit. And, and, and what, I, what I do is I, I'll, I'll approach somebody and say, hey, let's, let's get together and, and I'll chat. I'll hear their story. Um, and, um, and typically, um, my intuition, you know, do I have a percentage? I don't know. It's, it's more than 50%, uh, is fairly, fairly accurate. And, and so what I look for in those persons is, uh, first of all, it's just a deep, passionate love for Christ. Like I just, uh, I just, uh, journaled out or tweeted out this week, this, this morning, uh, that verse out of Second Corinthians, where you know, Paul talks about pure and simple devotion to Christ, <clears throat> and and just kind of he he feared that the Corinthians had lost some of that. I look for that pure and simple devotion to Christ, just a love for Christ, a love for Jesus. Um, and then I kind of used the Rick Warren thing. You know, Rick Warren says, "If you think you're a leader, turn around. Is anybody following?" Um, you know, if I you know if I look over at a young leader and and uh, uh, we have a young uh, African-American kid in our youth group, Kelvin. And uh, every time I see Kelvin, there's four or five other youth around him. And, like, Kelvin's a leader. And we've, like, even put him on one of our leadership teams. And we're pouring into Kelvin. And, we, 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 you know, we're getting next to him. And so some of it is just kind of opening your eyes, get your head up, and kind of, you know, who in the fellowship hall is – is there a group of people kind of gathered around talking to the guy or to the gal? And um, so ironically, every one of our campus pastors, every one of them came from the chairs of our campuses. They weren't seminary graduates that we went and got brought in. We actually did that a couple of times and we're like 0 for 4 on that. But we've, we're almost 100% on women and men who've been called out of our chairs uh, into uh some kind of credentialed ministry um, in our church. As a matter of fact, we have um, we have five, we have five, six, six. Uh, we have six credentialed pastors and three men and three women. And um, so we, you know, uh, we really believe in women in ministry. And uh, three of our campuses, two of our campuses, are led by by amazing women. Uh, and uh, uh, it's 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 wonderful. So yeah, it's just kind of keeping your head up and and seeing what's out there. That's really great. Um, here's one I always like to ask seasoned veteran pastors: If you you had somebody in front of you, and and, and especially if they're not serving one of one of y'all's campuses, but just a stranger, what's okay. the one piece of advice that you would give this pastor for their first day of ministry? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, you know, my, my first thing would be, um, uh, hit your knees and pray. Uh, and I don't mean that in a trite way. I mean, you know, talk out loud to God, you know, uh, um, walk in the door. Um, let me put it this way. I would, I would, 
I would prayer walk is what I would do. That's what I tell them to do. Thank you. That's you've helped me. I would prayer walk. I would walk and I would pray. I'd walk around the facilities by myself, you know, with the key that the head trustee gave me and I'd unlock all the rooms and I'd walk through, get a lay of the land. And you know, I, I always remember that in Jeremiah or in Nehemiah, Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, right? Yeah. Jeremiah was the crying guy. And that in, in the book of Nehemiah, that after Nehemiah got the kind of the, this call from God to go back to Jerusalem, he asked for the king. If he can go, he's given permission and, and, the, and the resources to go, and he goes. And it's interesting to note that the very first thing he did is it said he walked around the wall, the perimeter of the wall. And he was assessing the damage, if you will, and, uh, and he prayed. And I think, you know, uh, uh, in our tradition and in our denomination, uh, we were talking earlier, 17,500 and some of our less than 32,000 churches had no profession of faith. The walls are torn down. In most of our appointments, it's over 55%. Do not have a single profession of faith in a year. So when we are given the keys to that church, um, we walk around the church. And then I think I would say, secondly, you walk around the community and kind of do what Paul did in Acts chapter 17 when he got to Athens. He walked around, and he, he looked, he listened, and he learned. He became a student of the culture uh, that he was seeking to reach. Because um, I do think one of the things that we can sometimes do is we walk in and we hang our parchment on the wall and go, the religious expert has arrived and I think, you know, our churches that are struggling and our communities that, for the most part, don't even know we exist, they don't take us seriously. And we wonder why we're not more impactful, you know. And I think it's because we haven't done the prayer walking around the church and around our communities um, so that we can figure out how do we get the church and the community and the community in the church. Yeah, that's really good. And, and, and I have to tell you, it's not lost on me. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I'm just now 10 years into ministry, so I'm more yeah. on the front end of my career. But, you know, you've said this over and over in this interview. The last interview you did with Adam Hamilton, you know, he said it, whether it's the interior life of your own life or the way that you lead, both of you keep coming back to this point of the importance of prayer. Yeah. And, and early in ministry, I think we get so energetic and we're so, you know, just think we have all the answers and all this stuff. And, what I'm gleaning from both of you is, is this reminder that, you know, prayer is got to be foundational to the way we lead. Yeah. yeah I would, I'll put it this way. Recently I, I went to a friend of mine who's a pastor in the vineyard church and uh, he and his wife were celebrating 40 years of ministry. And, uh, uh, his church, uh, uh, did a interview of him and his wife and they walked through the 40 years of ministry. And, um, he talked about the early days of his ministry. You know, he said that those first 10 years and he said this, he said, I had a lot of passion, but I didn't have any wisdom. Mm. And I think you get wisdom by, you know, by praying and saying, you know, God, I don't have all the answers. I'm way over my head, you know, because passion will only take you so far, you know, passion without wisdom, that'll get you in a ditch you know, and you'll tick off people along the way. There'll be a big wake of broken relationships and all the rest. And I would just even say I was 36, first time senior pastor when I got here. And, uh, you know, this is my only lead pastor gig that I've ever done. And uh, I don't think I'll get another one. I'm, I turned 60 in four months. Um, 
but you know, I think about the even the early days, the wake of people were where passion was not tempered by wisdom. And again, I think wisdom comes through a depth of soul, um, you know, cultivating the heart of a, of a pastor and a shepherd, you know, so, yeah. Yeah. That's really good stuff. So, um, uh, before we go, I wanted to congratulate you. You've made it to our lightning round. Okay. With, 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 uh, interviews is the lightning round is pretty simple. Okay. I'm going to ask you three questions and you get no more than 15 seconds. Okay answer each and so these are fun questions all right and once you have a good time first question is this if you had to go on vacation and could go anywhere are you a mountains beach or lake person even though i live by the beach it's the mountains nice very nice here's one i always like to ask leaders if you uh had to go into any other vocation in life besides being a pastor what would you do a high school pe coach wow i did not see that coming yep High school PE coach. Very yeah. good. Okay. All right. Finally, this one's unique for you. The third one's always unique for the, who I'm interviewing. Okay. You mentioned earlier your love for the big green egg. Yep. Anybody who follows you on social media knows that, I mean, we're getting borderline food porn with the yeah, it is, it grill. Is it is unbelievable. Yeah. Favorite cut of meat to cook on your big green egg? Baby back ribs. Nice. That's a really good. Yeah. The, the hard part about baby back ribs is it takes like all day to prepare and then, you know, several hours to cook and then they're gone in like, you know, four minutes. You, you well, just, the meat just falls right into your mouth. Falls right into the mouth and then you're left with a pile of bones. That's it. Nice. Very nice. Listen, George, thank you so much uh, for being with us. We're going to put in the show notes uh, links to, to your Twitter and, and other things so people can find out more. I'm going to put your author's page uh, from Amazon so people can find your books. Wonderful stuff. Thank you so much for your time with us. It's good to be with you, Ben. All righty.